Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Thursday, February 17th. We begin with a look at the ongoing tension between Russia and Ukraine. We get the latest from Andrew Rasoulis, fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute and an expert in Eastern European affairs. Next, we continue our series focusing on the effect the pandemic has on our mental health. This time out, sleep and the importance of sleep to our overall health and well-being. It's an unintended consequence of the COVID-19 pandemic. The uptake of flu vaccinations in the province has plummeted over the past year. Could these low influenza vaccination rates have a negative impact for Albertans in years to come? We discuss with Dr. Jia Hu, Corporate Medical Director of Cleveland Clinic Canada. And finally, it's a chance to heat things up during the cold winter months. We hear all about the Block Heater Music Festival and the exciting schedule of performers from festival curator Carrie Clark. Well, according to U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, Russia has made no meaningful pullback from the Ukrainian border and described the situation as deeply, deeply concerning. With details on the current situation in Eastern Europe, we're joined this morning by Andrew Rasoulis, a fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute and an expert in Eastern European Affairs. Good morning to you, Andrew. Good morning to you, Andy, and uh, thank you for having me on your show once again. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Now, let's uh, let's talk about it. I I guess this is this is a very interesting, somewhat and potentially volatile situation. So we're going to get these mixed messages. Uh, What what are you hearing? And can we you know discern what is the truth from what is you know uh, just 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 empty words? When when Russia says we're pulling back, and I believe the number was seven thousand troops yesterday. They talked about. Um, but the, the U.S. saying that's not the case. What do you believe is the truth at this point? Okay, so uh, we have pendulum swings. Let mm-hmm. me uh, briefly go over the pendulum swings of this week and where we landed, where we are landing now this morning on on Thursday. On Tuesday, uh, German Chancellor Kohl, uh, I'm sorry, German Chancellor Schultz uh, uh, visits uh, with uh, Putin in Moscow. They have a press conference, and in the press conference. Uh, Putin announces that Russia is now prepared to accept the U.S. and NATO offer for diplomatic negotiations. So, major announcement. Then the Russians show a uh, film of their some of the elements of their military, of their army, withdrawing from ex- uh, finishing exercises and returning to barracks. Western intelligence says we can't verify this. Then Western intelligence says, in fact, we're seeing 7,000 new troops moving forward. So this is a, uh, the opposite of what the Russians are saying. So everyone's going down saying, oh, my God, what's happening? And then this morning we have the Italian foreign minister meeting with the Russian foreign minister, Lavrov, in Moscow. And again, at that press conference, it's just been reaffirmed about an hour ago, the Russians have said that, no, no, we are very much in favor of the diplomatic negotiating pathway. The Italians have welcomed that. So what does it, where does this leave us? Well, it leaves us with a situation where the Russian intention stated publicly is diplomacy. Mm-hmm. Their military capability suggests they could, if they change that intention, they could exercise a war option on moment's notice. They're all ready to go. So the question is, what will they do? What will they do? And we're hearing about these... Uh diplomatic conversations and you know the, the threat 
and the whole pile up of these are the sanctions that we have on the sideline for you. And the Russians saying these are the troops. Could the sanctions really, though, you know, from the countries, the bordering countries and U.N. nations be enough to deter Russia from invading? It's a combination of the sanctions, which are substantial, the, the ones that they would potentially uh, have to deal with. Um, they have some workarounds, but they would, they would, they would feel pain. Um, but there's also the pain of war. Uh, and it's not, it's not like a video game. The, the Russians, if they launched a military operation against Ukraine, and there's a spectrum of options, um, they, in, in, there would be thousands of people dead on both sides. And war also is a very hard-to-control option. So my estimate is that uh, overall, in terms of what the Russian objectives are, and I'll come back to you, war is a lose-lose, whereas diplomacy offers the potential of a a compromised win-win. Within the war and in uh, 2022, it's not just on the battlefield. We're hearing more and more about, you know, the cybersecurity and the hackers coming out of Russia, Russia, and that those uh, you know hackers have been busier as of late. Is is that uh, you know obviously we've seen this throughout the, the years? Is that calculated at this point, or is this just the consistency we see from the Russian hackers? Well, it's very much part of the modern way of dealing with warfare. Yes, you're correct. Um, cyber warfare is now an integrated component of warfare. Warfare being sort of the conventional, the kinetic, that is like troops and tank, tanks on the ground and artillery. But uh, uh, signals, uh, disruption of, of cyber, and, and the ability to actually shut down banks, uh, the foreign ministry, basically you can shut down electric grids of, of cities. You can, you can make uh, Kiev uh, go dark if, you, if, they, if they can succeed in that. Uh, of course, there's countermeasures, you know? um, uh, and it works both ways. There could be cyber attacks against Russia as a counter to that. But the point is that there is non-lethal application of um, force, if you will, and there is lethal application, kinetic energy. Both are options. Uh, and the Russians have used the low-level stuff. They, um, I mean, it's not been confirmed it was the Russians, but the Ukrainian Defense and Foreign Ministry were hit a few days ago, and two of their banks were hit. Wow. No one has actually identified the instigators of the attack, so you can leave it to imagination. Um, and this morning in the Donbass, uh, the, uh, the e- eastern Ukrainian rebels, who are pro-Russian and are supported by Russia, uh, fired rounds, fired some, uh, some, some shots against the Ukrainian, uh, western Ukrainian positions across the line of contact. They do this episodically uh, when they want to register displeasure. And what I think there, there is, the message is coming out is that we, are, we the Russians, are strong. Uh, we are looking at, we have mentioned to you openly, we're looking at negotiations, but don't take us for patsies. We're not going to have drawn-up negotiations. They have said that clearly, that they will not submit themselves to drawn-out negotiations. They're prepared to explore that path. They're on it. Let's see where it goes. That's what the Russians are saying. But we have, a lot, we have the other capability, and we've just shown you we can use it. It, it seems to me, Andrew, that the uh, the U.S. is holding its cards somewhat tightly. They, you know, give bits and pieces of information on uh, what they want to bring to the table. The, of course, the talks, the diplomacy, but also hearing this morning from global uh, television's Crystal Gumansing, uh, a Europe correspondent, that they they are you know shoring up some troops in Poland. Do you think that you know what we see from the U.S. will be uh, what we get, or do you think that they might you know change their viewpoint as far as you know using some military might? 
Well, the Americans are, are what they're doing there. They, they, they've clearly made the diplomatic option open. They, they've, they've stated that very, very clearly. Blinken and, and President Biden have said to the Russians, we're, we're negotiating. And they've given them a package. Okay. Uh, and the, that at the same time, they have also said, because the Russians have maintained the war option on their side, uh, uh, NATO uh, and the United States, part of NATO and Canada, uh, have to demonstrate that uh, NATO would be defended. That is, uh, so it's not Ukraine. Ukraine is not part of NATO. We only have trainers there. Uh, but like the Baltic states, Poland, Romania, Bulgaria, uh, which are in the, in the, in the zone here, because in any war option, there's always the possibility of uh, the war getting out of control. And this is why it's a very messy option. So in order to make it clear to both to our own allies within NATO as well as to the Russians, that if there's any, if, should there be a war, should the Russians exercise a war option, if there should be a spillover effect outside of Ukraine territory into uh, any of the Baltic states of the, or Poland and Romania, Bulgaria, that NATO is there... Mm-hmm. As uh, to, to, to rebuff that. Because NATO will do a combat mission to defend NATO territory. Yeah. And by the Americans deploying more forces there, uh, they are actually demonstrating that. Very, very interesting times and a, a situation that is unfolding, it seems like, minute by minute or hour by hour. So we appreciate the update, Andrew. Thanks so much. You're very welcome, Andy. Anytime. Thank you. That is Andrew Rasoulis, fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute and an expert in Eastern European affairs. Are you suffering from COVID somnia? Has the pandemic impacted your sleep quality? And what is it doing to your mental health? To help us understand the importance of sleep and how to improve our quality of sleep, we're joined this morning by Charles Samuels, Medical Director of the Center for Sleep and Human Performance. Good morning to you, Charles. How are you? Good. Thank you for getting up early with us. <laughs> sleep My pleasure. Uh, let, let's talk about this. You know, and I, and I guess, yeah. whereas we can talk about, you know, stressors in our lives impacting our sleep uh, have you seen it even more so over the past two years because of the pandemic yeah there's actually been an interesting trajectory over the two years so when i would do these interviews uh you know in the first three months of covid because it was quite a stressor for people um what was happening as people started to transition into staying at home to things would happen. One, either the stress of the pandemic and the unknown would actually cause insomnia, which they're now calling COVID insomnia. Um, or some people actually did better because they eliminated their, you know, hour to two hour commute every day and they were able to sleep more, which is actually the major problem in North America. We simply just don't get enough sleep. And one of the major barriers is the uh, commute and the other is technology. It's interesting, Dr. Samuels, in that like it's very similar in, in many different sections of the pandemic, how some people have done better financially, whereas other people mm-hmm. are really struggling. Ex- Back yeah. to that first example you gave, though, about, you know, yeah, maybe some people doing better off of sleep. The, the cycle or the circle in the sense that if the pandemic has increased stress levels and anxiety and it has impacted my sleep quality, mm-hmm. I'm now sleep deprived and my mental health is suffering. So yeah. how, how do we break that cycle? Well, that's actually a really good question and a very topical one. I actually last night gave a talk about this very relation to, to family doctors because it's important. They're seeing it a lot. And so the the relationship uh, in particular is one of insomnia and it's linked to depression and anxiety. And so it's really important for people to know that 
um, disrupted sleep in and of itself can actually lead to depression or in an individual whose depression is well managed can actually um, make it worse. So that's important. When it comes to anxiety, individuals who are struggling with anxiety, which of course is tremendously common now, mm. um, this can lead to insomnia. And bre- as you say, breaking the cycle isn't easy. But what we're educating family doctors to do is to not sort of ignore the insomnia, but actually address it. And we have um, a variety of methods other than medications yeah. um, for doing that, but also medication when necessary. If it gets to that point. I mean, you know, we all need our sleep. Let's yeah. uh, let's talk about you know a, a term that I and I love is called sleep <laughs> hygiene, and it doesn't mean yeah. necessarily scrubbing down from head to toe before you hop <laughs> in bed. What, what are some of the sleep hygiene tips? And I think Dr. Samuels kind of touched on it when you mentioned technology earlier as well. Yes, yeah. So that's sort of the basics that we'll discuss with patients. In other words, keeping the the most important part of sleep hygiene is maintaining a routine which many people don't do. So really sticking to a sleep routine helps the brain regulate sleep, um, picking a bedtime and a wake time and staying within an hour window of those either side. And then if you're struggling to either fall asleep or stay asleep or both, learning techniques, which we would say meditative breathing to reduce the anxiety level and allow the brain to actually take over and get you to sleep. Sleep hygiene in particular addresses all the things that we do in our life that make sleep worse. So nicotine, caffeine, alcohol, not to eliminate them, but to simply modify your use of those things. Um, and then also when to exercise, getting more exercise, um, uh, you know, not eating right before dinner, uh, before sleep, sorry. Um, those are all sort of sleep hygiene elements that we talk to patients about that seem simple, but most people actually don't do. Uh, Dr. Samuels, we're not having a you know question period here for you, but I do have a question for you that was sent in, and it says, I wake up a lot during the night. Is yeah. this normal, and does anyone, anyone ever sleep a full eight hours? Um, so I would argue that now, um, in this last two years, many people are struggling with staying asleep. So it's not abnormal, but it's... Um, it's disruptive to the continuity and the quality of your sleep and um, getting it stable so those awakenings are less than 15 minutes and you can get back to sleep is the goal. Many people do sleep right through the night. Um, so, But neither is abnormal. Mm. Um, what it is is that the most important thing is how people feel during the day. So I kind of don't care about their sleep. I care about how they're functioning during the day and that's what we focus on if they're doing well that's good we don't overplay the sleep issue if they're not doing well during the day we dig in and start helping them with their uh, sleep issues and we have a whole behavioral sleep medicine program at the center to deal with that you you yeah you're referencing the medicine dr samuels i'm wondering because it seems like there's a lot of natural or holistic items out there, whether it be maybe a, a melatonin or, or teas, for example. Mm-hmm. But, but before mm-hmm. I see a professional, could I try any of these? Or are they endorsed or do you think they're effective? Yeah, so our general, you know, our general statement is over-the-counter medication for sleep is an indication you really should be bringing up the sleep issue with your um, primary care provider. Mm-hmm. So that's really what we would say. And when we're teaching family doctors, we don't recommend the use of over-the-counter um, sleep aids. So we often are asked about melatonin. Melatonin actually isn't designed and doesn't work to help 
uh, insomnia. It is used in what we call circadian rhythm disorders like shift work uh, and night owls, like teenagers who are night owls, mm-hmm. less so as a drug for insomnia. Um, and again, people are taking doses that far in excess of what's needed, so we don't recommend doses of melatonin over three milligrams. Uh, many people are taking 30 milligrams. Uh, and uh, so that would be really the general advice we would give. Question for you, Dr. Samuels. Of course, you're the mm-hmm. medical director of the Center for Sleep and Human Performance. Is this the kind of thing that, you know, somebody could, you know, hop online and, and inquire about? Or is it best to talk to your family physician first to get a, refu- uh, a referral to a sleep specialist? So it's either. Um, um, if they go to our website, which is just typing in the Center for Sleep and Human Performance here in Calgary, they can actually refer themselves or they can bring it up with their family doctor if they want to. Um, and people do both. Good stuff. We appreciate your time this morning. And, uh, you know, here's to a restful night's sleep for all of us. I think we could all use it. Thank, <laughs> thank you so much, you Charles. Bet. Yeah, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. It's Charles Samuels, a medical director of the Center for Sleep and Human Performance. Did you get your flu shot this season? If you didn't, you are in the majority. In the 2021-2022 flu season, less than 27% of Albertans rolled up their sleeve for the inoculation. So will the low influenza vaccination rates and coverage uh, mean something detrimental for Albertans in years to come? Joining us with insight is Dr. Jia Hu, CEO and co-founder of 19 to Zero, Corporate Medical, Medical Director, Cleveland Clinic Canada. Good morning to you, Dr. Hu. Good morning. So why do you think we saw such a low vaccination rate when it comes to the flu this season? Are people just uh, vaccined out? You know, I think a lot of it happened. People are probably a little bit vaccined out. Uh, but, you know, last year when we were worried about having sort of a twindemic of flu and COVID, we really didn't see much flu, almost none. And we haven't seen a whole lot this year. And I think a big reason why numbers are, are down this year is people, you know, saw that last year there was like nearly no flu. Um, and they're like, oh, I won't get immunized this year. Uh, you know, I, I think that that sort of pattern of, of not really seeing very much circulating influenza won't hold uh, because, I mean, clearly what we've seen is that by having restrictions that kind of can prevent COVID transmission, we really stop influenza transmission. But I would hope that this time next year we have almost no restrictions. And so I think flu should be back in full force next time around, next next year, this time around. Yeah, it's interesting. Are you, are you uh, saying, Doctor Who, that it's a case of not looking short term, but looking long term? Just because I haven't had a cold in the past eighteen months, that doesn't mean that the flu couldn't be hanging around the corner. Yeah, exactly. And I, I understand why people wouldn't get. Again, last year we were really worried about flu, and there were we had near zero cases. Right, the the the, the quietest flu season that we'd ever seen in human human history, actually, because of our measure of COVID. But I, I think that, you know, if we look to next year, you know, if we actually go back to normal, which I'm really hoping that we are able to do that, we'll have a flu season. We've had a flu season every year for the last several, several decades. And, you know, when that happens and, you know, if you have a bunch of people who sort of had no immunity for the past few years, I'd be pretty worried about a more severe flu season. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm wondering if you can give us some sort of per- per- perspective here, Dr. Who, in the sense that, we say that less than 27% of those eligible for the flu shot in Alberta did not get it in the past year. Uh, what are normal vaccination rates in years prior to the COVID-19 pandemic? Oh, yeah. I mean, our, our, our flu vaccine uptake is some of the lowest of any vaccine. I would say 
you know, normally you have between 30 and 35 percent of people uh, getting the flu vaccine in a given year. And, and so, you know, going from 33 percent to 27 percent doesn't sound like a lot. But it's actually a pretty big drop when you think about the fact that, you know, we're never really below 30. We're never really above 35. And so I think, you know, there is something markedly different about this year compared to, to other years. I'm wondering, uh, Dr. Who, I did get the flu vaccine. I've got uh, small children and I'm a fairly busy individual and I want to protect myself every way that I can. So I, I had that vaccine. I'm wondering if somebody didn't, and I uh, was always told, and we're always told on the program even, that they formulate the flu shot and the ingredients based on what's happening on the other side of the world, for example, in Australia and what the strain looks like. If I had it and there's a different strain next year, am I more prepared than somebody who didn't have one this year and gets one next year? It's possible. It's really hard to say because I think that, you know, as when COVID first emerged, we, we've entered sort of Nova Terra for influenza. Mm-hmm. For every year since we've been tracking this, we've had a flu season. Sometimes we've had a milder flu season. Other times we've had really bad flu seasons that actually, you know, sort of overwhelm our ICUs in the, kind of like the same way COVID has. But, I mean, flu isn't as bad as COVID. And for the last two years, we basically had no COVID, no flu. And that's unprecedented, really. And that's sort of gone on the radar because we've been dealing with COVID. But, you know, I do think that so it's not clear to me. We don't really know if you getting a vaccine this year protects you next year. But I, I do generally think that there's overall less population immunity. because most, A lot of people just get the flu in a given year. And so I, I don't know what's going to happen. But I, I certainly hope you're more protected because you did the right thing. Well, I just, you know, that's just the way we've been doing it in our house every year. Everybody gets that flu vaccine. Um, let's talk about, yeah. you know, the fact that, you know, like I said, we might be vaccined out. Uh, but we do know it's safe to get uh, have a flu vaccine if you've had a COVID vaccine. And we're seeing more and more um, the combination that you can do both at the same time. Are there any risks of doing both at the same time? No, no. I mean, I absolutely safe to do both at the same time. I mean, I think it's a good thing to do. Save yourself, you know, an extra visit to the pharmacist or the public health clinic. Uh, in fact, when it comes to the the COVID vaccine, you can really give any number of vaccines, the shingles vaccine, the pneumonia vaccine, you can all give it at the same time. There's no sort of interval either. You have to wait between one and the other. So, um, you know, it's good to get, I, I think it's good to get a bunch of ones because then you don't have to, you know, visit too many healthcare facilities. It saves you time, basically. Yeah. I think everybody likes to save time and everybody likes to be safe for sure. Thank you so much for your time this morning. We appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you. That is Dr. Jia Hu. CEO and co-founder of 19 to 0, Corporate Medical Director, Cleveland Clinic, Canada. Chinook Blast, chances are you've heard about it, but have you taken part? Lots going on if you're looking for fun and a fit for the whole family this weekend. All the details you need, we've got them for you. This morning, we're joined by Carrie Clark, Artistic Director of the Calgary Folk Music Festival and Block Heater. Good morning to you, Carrie. Good morning. For those people who have been under a rock or maybe new to Calgary, what is Chinook Blast? Well, Chinook Blast is kind of an umbrella um, linking of the different winter events that happen and then some added events. And so we're under that umbrella. So Block Heater has been around for seven years. And this is the really the, the first year, I guess, because it didn't work out so well last year uh, with the pandemic, but the first year that we've been kind of under the umbrella of Chinook Blast. So basically, that's what Chinook Blast is. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm, yeah, I can speak to Block Heater, which yeah. is a, a part of Chinook Blast, and that's, like I say, it's the seventh annual. Last year, of course, we had to be digital, and this year we're doing a scaled-back version, which involves some um, live performances on Olympic Plaza on Friday nights, coming up Friday night and Saturday night, in conjunction with Chinook Blast and some partners there, Glow and and Big, 
And then, um, so that's three artists on Friday night ending with uh, an artist named Witch Prophet, and Saturday night ending with the Polaris Prize winning Cadence Weapon. And then on Sunday, we move into the Jack Snare Concert Hall, and we have two shows there with mm. four artists on each bill. Um, in the afternoon show, the headliners are Rain Maida and Chantel Kreviazic, and on Sunday night, the headliner is uh, Ruben in the Dark. Oh, yeah, cool stuff. And it's interesting because we've talked to you uh, several times on the program, Carrie, and we know your love of music. We know your connection to the Calgary Folk Music Festival. So this is, to me, just an extension of the fact that we don't have to have some great music in the city confined to just the summer months. Is that what appeals to you? Yeah, for sure. This was a nice halfway point. It was a way to celebrate winter, and it was, you know, to get people out of their houses and uh, enjoying music. So definitely, um, and, you know, help extending tour schedules for artists, so we love music. We love whenever we can put it on. And one day the winter festival block here may be as big as the summer festival, but we, we haven't gotten there yet. Yes, it takes time, doesn't it? How, how are the artists chosen and curated, Carrie? What, what sort of a process <clears throat> is there? Well, I, I like to sometimes say sometimes they hunt me down or I hunt them down. Um, artists pitch me because they're touring during that time, and then we say, well, this artist makes sense or it doesn't. Um, when it comes to something like finding the... Um, headliners for a big uh, space like Jackson Concert Hall um, based on some years of experience and uh, advice and uh, different things. I go and I approach artists and ask them if they're interested in doing it and then uh, we make them offers and they accept or they don't and then you move on to the next one. So it's it's kind of putting together a big jigsaw puzzle, really. I'm wondering, you know, we mentioned off the beginning here, you know, family fun that comes <clears throat> with Chinook Blast, but when it comes to Block Heater, are certain acts, you know, reserved just for the adult audience, or is this something that you could bring all ages to? Um, I would say it's all ages, but it's definitely more of a concert setting. We don't have the family area or, you know, the stuff early, early in the day like we do during the summer. So we get families out, but maybe not as many, and it just depends on the format. Like when we were at Studio Bell for a few years, there were some kids, um, for sure, and, you know, we had some afternoon programming, so we had more kids, but in the evening it was, you know, we wandered from venue to venue, so there were fewer, and there's not specifically targeted family entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely, you know, there's, I think that most of these artists are good for a family audience. It depends how late your kids want to stay out, you know, if you want to bundle them up and bring them down to Olympic Plaza, maybe for the beginning part of it. There's also skating on Olympic Plaza, so people can stand in front of the stage and watch, or they can also be kind of taking it in while they enjoy some outdoor activities. And with some other things happening this weekend, like the Glow Festival, there's lots to see and do on the on the mall. On Stephen Avenue Mall. Oh, yeah. And I've been down there to see the Glow Festival. Wow, it's incredible. Yeah, and they've got lots of of lights and lots of things and kind of interactive stuff as well. Particularly since it hasn't been the coldest winter. Uh, Just before we let you go, Carrie, uh, where can we get tickets? Do we need to get them in advance or can we get them walk-up? Um, both, um, it's free on Friday and Saturday night for Olympic Plaza. So if you go to calgaryfolkfest.com, you can see full schedules in the bios of the artists. And then if you go to, uh, also at calgaryfolkfest.com, you can find the information about the Jack Singer and go and purchase tickets either in advance or you can purchase them at the Jack Singer Concert Hall. Um, it's going to be really special this year. One of the special things is Ruben in the Dark has added some singers from the, um, Blood Tribe, uh, into his group and they're going to be joining him on some of the, the stage uh, performances so that's going to be very cool if you've seen Ruben before it's another twist of Ruben's great show Yeah, warming things up uh, you know with some great music for a cold season block heater looking forward to it thank you so much Carrie thanks for having me
That is Kerry Clark, Artistic Director of the Calgary Folk Music Festival and Block Heater. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.